Shermchester joined today by Roger Brown from the union leader and also his websites, the NewHampshireFootballReport.com and NewHampshireHardball.com. And we have a, a real special guest today uh, and, a, and a friend of Roger's and uh, it's a major league baseball announcer and, and a New Hampshire native, Tim Neverett. Tim, welcome aboard the Seaco Sports Forum. Uh, thanks, Sherm. I appreciate it. Roger, always good to see you. I've probably known Roger about 101 years. And, uh, <laughs> it's been a long time. Longer than always always good to catch up. Yeah. Tell us about that connection. Roger, you want to do it or you want to let Tim tell us about that, that Nashville connection between you two guys? Well, uh, Tim played on the second best Pop Warner team in Nashville, as I recall. <laughs> way right. back. And uh, yeah, both Nashville high guys, you know? Yeah, we thought we were the best Pop Warner team, but uh, turned out that we got the silver medal. So. <laughs> so there's a little friendly rivalry that goes back always with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we were. I think we were on opposite teams, and then we were on the same team. And uh, I think Tim's a year. Fortunately, Tim's a year older than me, so you know that makes me feel good. You know, <laughs> and, and, the Nashville Bucks. That's where we were on the Nashville Bucks. That's right. Um, and uh, played a lot of games at Holman Stadium, which is now no longer a football stadium. So, and then we played, of course, in high school there too. So they've uh, shut it down from football. It's baseball only now, but um, you know, played a lot of baseball in there also. In my my time in Nashua. Well, I'm glad I'm glad Roger put a blurb on uh, New Hampshire Hardball about the book, and and I went out and and uh, I do audio books. I love audio books, especially when they're read by the author. And uh, I encourage everybody to go out and uh, get a copy, whether it's the written copy or the audio copy of COVID Curveball by Tim Neverett and and Tim's. We know Tim from the Red Sox, but you 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 were a good luck charm. You went to the West Coast and 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 brought the Dodgers a world championship, man. You know, it's funny. Uh, there's a guy that uh, before Nick Cafardo of the Boston Globe passed away, he has a gentleman out in L.A. who's got Boston connections named Bill Chuck, who used to do the Bill Chuck files in his column all the time. And Bill figured it out that uh, the places I've been, uh, they've all won. And then when I left, they didn't win. So, and, and others have figured it out too. I've been asked about this a lot because when I was in Pittsburgh, they were brutal. Pirates were, were not very good. We lost a hundred and something games my first couple of years there, each of the years, and then started to get a little better. Then, uh, you know, went to the postseason three straight years. I left. They haven't been to the postseason since. <laughs> when I got, when I got to the Red Sox, they were in last place in the East in 2015 and then in 2016, it was the first of three straight division titles and a World Series title. And when I left, they got back to the postseason last year, but they still haven't won uh, the whole thing. Uh, when I got to the Dodgers, uh, they continued a string of, of uh, postseason runs. Uh, they lost in the division series my first year. My second year, we win the World Series. Last year, we lose in the NLCS. So, you know, things have been <laughs> – I've seen a lot of winning, fortunately. Yeah, um, it, and it's been just right place, right time, total luck. But uh, I'll take the coincidence. Now, in case anybody wants to know how the title was generated, COVID Curveball, uh, the book itself though was inspired by a walk with Reggie, your chocolate lab in the background there, a walk yeah. up in the White Mountains. That's what inspired you to come up with the the title <laughs> and, and and the project, right? Yeah, my wife, Jess, and Reggie and I were up in the White Mountains during quarantine. We decided to get out of Nashville and go up to uh, Bretton Woods. 
in that area, Carroll and, you know, Whitefield. And uh, we like it up there quite a bit. We spend quite a lot of time up there, but we got a cabin up there and had a place we could walk every day. And so we're just walking around and uh, just thinking out loud out of the box. I said, Hey, what about this? Should I do this? Or what do you think of that? And she's like, yeah, you better do that. So uh, I started writing every day. I caught up from the first part of spring training uh, before we were sent home. And then uh, once I went back to spring training 2.0, which was not in Arizona, it was in Los Angeles. Uh, we, we called games off of uh, TV screens and uh, things like that. So, um, you know, we went back and did that. And then I started chronicling, you know, what was going on every day uh, on a day-by-day basis, wrote it in real time. So by the time the World Series had ended, uh, maybe a week later, the manuscript was done and uh, we had a publisher already and uh, they, they liked the idea, especially since the Dodgers won. <laughs> that kind of helped. Uh, but uh, that went to, they went to work on it pretty quickly and we had it out by the All-Star game in Denver this year. Roger, I'm going to let you jump in here. I just wanted to mention that in the book is your connection going back to your youth with the Dodgers in Nashua. And, and, and that's kind of cool. And, and Roger is a Dodger fan, no doubt about it. He bleeds the blue for sure. Tell us, right. tell us about those connections. Yeah. You go ahead and tell the story, Tim. You were, you know, home and stadium. It starts there, right? Yeah. And my Dodger connection began when I was seven years old. Uh, my brother BJ played for uh, the Nashua Dodgers, the little league Dodgers in the North end, which was right outside of Holman stadium, literally where, where we played. And uh, I was a bat boy at age seven. And then two years later, because I've been with them, they, you know, I got drafted by them and uh, in the little, in the little league draft. So, you know, everybody who gets drafted in a little league draft can say they were drafted at one point in their life. Um, so I played for the Dodgers for four years. We won a city championship. We're always in the playoffs. We had a bunch of good players. And um, so that was my Dodger thing. And, you know, my coaches used to say, wear your hat a certain way when you're on the field, dress a certain way and be proud to be a Dodger. And that's kind of when I felt I, I learned how to be a Dodger. Uh, then following that, uh, I played for uh, Coffee Post, American Legion in Nashua. Our home games were at uh, Holman Stadium. And our uniforms happened to be Dodger replica uniforms. They looked just like the road uniforms. And so that was kind of a neat thing. I like that. And then once I was in college, my freshman year, we had the Nashua Angels come into town and the Nashua Pirates in the Eastern League. And I was trying to decide whether to play summer ball or intern. I ended up interning, but I started playing summer ball for a team known as the Nashua Dodgers. <laughs> so, you know, in the, in the Brooklyn Dodgers farm team back in the 40s, played at Holman Stadium in that same stadium. You know, you had uh, uh, players like... Um, Don Newcomb, Roy Campanella, Walter Alston was the manager of that team in 1941-42 in there. So, uh, yeah, so the Dodgers have always had a connection in Nashua. You go downtown Nashua, uh, there's a big tire store that's been there forever. There's a, a Dodgers mural that's painted on the wall with Campanella and Newcomb at uh, Maynard and Lesher, um, right behind City Hall. So there's always been some sort of Dodger connection. And then it goes further. When I was in Las Vegas doing AAA baseball, I was with the Padres AAA team. Uh, it was the Las Vegas Stars. They decided that they didn't want to renew with the Padres or vice versa, but the Dodgers 
came in and were the affiliates. So for a number of years, I broadcast the Dodgers AAA games. So it came back to the Dodgers. And so when the Dodgers offered me the job after the 2018 World Series, uh, you know, I had a chance to come back to Boston and stay with the Red Sox. Uh, I wasn't exactly very happy with the situation with the flagship station. And I didn't really know if I wanted to stay at that time, to be quite honest. But when the Dodgers offered me the job, it took me about 10 seconds to say yes. And I'm uh, back being a Dodger again. So there's always been a Dodger element in my life one way or another. I just wanted to ask, you've been in two legendary ballparks, Fenway, obviously, on this coast. And now Dodger Stadium, Chavez Ravine. Just compare the, the feel for those parks. Well, they're very different. And, and this is a good question. I've been asked this before. It's it's uh, it's hard to describe in some ways, but it's really different um, and not in a bad way either way. You know, Fenway is Fenway. People go to Fenway to see the ballpark uh, first. It's just a lot of character. It's old. It's got so much history to it. And, you know, the Red Sox are just, a, you know, they're such a legendary franchise, not only in New England, but around baseball that, uh, you know, and when they're good, you want to see them win. Uh, but when they're not very good, we used to go to see the ballpark. And when I was in college, I used to live three blocks from Fenway Park on the other side of Kenmore Square. And, and the Red Sox were pretty good. They actually went to the World Series in 86. But there were years where they didn't sell out many games. You know, we just walk over and it was great. We wanted to go to Fenway and experience it. The people, uh, you know, they're a hardy group because the weather is very different uh, from the start of the season to the middle of the season to the end of the season. Uh, and that can affect people's moods, as we all know, right? Hmm. But in Los Angeles, there's tons of parking. Never an issue with parking. There's like 365 acres of parking there around the stadium. Uh, it's not in a neighborhood. Uh, it kind of is, but isn't. Uh, it's got its own huge open area. Uh, it's a big ballpark. It seats, gosh, I'd say almost 20,000 more than Fenway. I think we can get 52 to 55,000 at the Dodgers Stadium. And, and the Dodgers always lead in attendance. Uh, people do go to Dodger Stadium for Dodger Stadium. Uh, but it's just a, it's a wonderful experience either way. Uh, but you know, you might get the same weather opening day as you do sometime in August or September. I mean, it's just beautiful. Mm. And we don't keep a tarp on the field. Wow. We don't have to because we don't have rainouts there. Never, yeah. And uh, to, to drop a name on you from uh, New England, uh, Nomar Garcia Parr is one of the guys that I get to work with. He's a Southern California guy. He did play for the Dodgers. But one time he and I were on the field my first year. Uh, we were down by the batting cage uh, during BP. And it was early in the season and he started laughing and he told me a story that Grady Little told him when Grady went to the Dodgers and he said, see that blue sky, Nomar? He goes, yeah. He goes, every day, every bleeping day, it's like this. <laughs> and it's true. And it's absolutely 100% true. So even, uh, you know, this year, the times that I worked with Nomar, we'd have a beautiful, you know, sky and I'd say, what a great he tell you, Nomar. He goes, every bleeping day. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Roger, you wanted to talk about the actual season, the COVID season that uh, Tim and his, and his journal. First, I'd like to say that the Dodger dog is far superior to the Fenway Frank as well. <laughs> I was going to ask about that, too. <laughs> you know, I, I will agree because if you get the steamed Fenway Frank, 
it used to be that the bun was wet. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't like the I didn't like the wet bun, but I, I do like the Dodger dog. Um, in regards to the book, Tim, were you thinking about writing a book and you just didn't know what topic it was going to be? Or was this just strictly the COVID idea and you went with it? It was strictly the COVID idea, the, the season, what it was going to be like, because we didn't know. We had no idea if we'd have a season. We had no idea if we'd play 20 games, 50 games, 100 games. We didn't know. So uh, we just looked at it and said, I'm just going to write, keep a journal of what's going on, and then clean it up every now and then. Like I'd, I'd write at night and then maybe clean some things up in the morning and uh, move on to the next day, take some notes. I took a lot of mental notes. Uh, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody I worked with because I didn't want anybody going, Hey, that'd be great for the book or mm-hmm. don't put that in the book or, you know, whatever. So I didn't tell anybody until the very last day that we were there. Uh, we had a game against the angels to finish up the regular season. And that's when I went and told my boss and told people I worked with that, Hey, by the way, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about making a book on this season, just so you know, and, uh, it's not a tell all book. It's not a, you know, it's just this is how it was during the season on a day by day basis. So everybody was good with it. The Dodgers were actually very supportive. You know, they helped me with the with the photographs. They helped me get it licensed by Major League Baseball. And they were really supportive of the idea. And uh, and, and my fellow broadcasters were and, you know, the manager, Dave Roberts, was supportive. And, you know, he you know, there were some players, you know, Mookie Betts included, that said, hey, you know, it you know, anything I can do to help. I said, yeah, let's take a picture and we'll use it to promote. And uh, they were like, yeah, no problem, whatever you need. So everybody was really good about it. You brought up Mookie Betts. There are a lot of Mookie moments, as you call them, in the book. Um, Give us one or two of those. There's one, I I think, if you give it, great. If you're not, I'm going to leave it for people to either read or or, uh, hear on the audio. But some Mookie moments that that stand out from you. You saw him here. You saw him on the West Coast now. Yeah, it's starting to get too many to count. Um, he's been spectacular. He was spectacular as a member of the Red Sox. Uh, he's been really, really good as a member of the Dodgers. This year, I think he played hurt quite a bit. And so he didn't quite have the, the same type of season that, you know, he normally has. But, you know, I, th- there's one that's, uh, you know, chronicled in the book when he was with the Red Sox that, I'd rather let people read, but it has yeah. to do with you know, something around my family and uh, around my father's death. That that was a huge Mookie moment, something he did for my family. That was a little thing for him, but turned out to be a big thing for my mother and uh, other members of my family. Uh, but on the field, uh, geez, I mean, he made a catch. I mean, I can think of another one. He made a catch to end the game against the Padres this past year. That was amazing. Uh, early in the season. He made a throw. I can tell you in 2020, we were in Arizona and uh, could tell Marte for Arizona hits one into the right field corner. It's in the first inning. And Tori Lovello, who was the manager of the Diamondbacks, you know, he was the bench coach of the Red Sox. So he's familiar with Mookie. And he's probably thinking to himself, no, don't try to stretch it to three. Do not try to stretch it to three. Well, could tell Marte tries to stretch it for three. Mookie fields the ball, spins and throws in one motion, and he throws a dart from the mm-hmm. right field corner to third base on a hop where Cattell Marte was out. And it was, I mean, people in the in the building are like, oh my God. 
But that wasn't the first. I had seen him do it in Tampa Bay. I had seen him do it in Toronto before. I mean, I had seen him do it. I wasn't surprised. But, you know, people get surprised at that stuff, and they shouldn't because he's an amazing athlete. He does everything the right way on the field. And the thing that I like about him is that he's probably the best base runner in Major League Baseball by far. I don't think there's anybody close. His instincts are incredible. I don't think I've ever seen him get thrown out. <laughs> I mean, you know, even when he tries to stretch, he knows he's got the bag. So he's been a wonderful guy to watch produce runs, watch defend. And, uh, you know, I, I told people in Los Angeles it would take Dodger fans about five seconds to fall in love with him, and it took about three. You know, another thing about the COVID season, and, and you bring it out in the book, as a broadcaster, you had to kind of relearn the business, uh, learn the new techniques that were coming up to kind of compensate for, well, lack of being, you had, you had the advantage of, of over some of actually being in suite 215, uh, which was a, a special box they set up for you and, and Monday and, and the guys that were doing the broadcast with you, but uh, you had those cardboard cutouts you were dealing with. <laughs> we didn't get to see their faces either. So, uh, <laughs> we saw the backs of them and I put a photo of it in the book. So cause no one ever saw the backs. Of so like, okay, you see these great smiley faces and they're all bought, you know, for charity and they all, you know, they turned a, a negative into a positive. So I know the Dodgers raised a lot of money. I, I guess probably close to a million dollars or something on, uh, on their, uh, their, their cutout sales. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is where we sat, it just looked like rows and rows of white tombstones. I mean, there's just, there's just nothing there. And, you know, they arrived early. They never left. They, uh, you know, they were pretty stiff. They just didn't, you know, didn't do anything until uh, one day when our catcher, Will Smith, hit a screaming home run to left center field and almost knocked the head off of one of them. And the kid whose photo it was, all of his friends saw it on TV. So they're texting the kid and the kid, the kid like puts a social media post out for Will Smith. Will Smith sees it gets back to the kid, says, I'll hook you up. And he sent him like a signed baseball, wow. you know, for almost knocking his head off of the cutout. So <laughs> I mean, there's just all kinds of weird, weird, strange things that happened during that season and being in that ballpark, you know, like when they were on the road and, and we were there by ourselves, there was like seven or eight of us in the entire stadium with the lights off. Uh, it was a totally surreal experience. Uh, and you're right. We did have to relearn some things. I had, fortunately done things off the screen before at, at a couple of Olympic games, but this was just different when you were doing it on a daily basis when they were on a road trip. Tim Oro uh, wrote the forward, correct? Yes, he did. Um, was the, was the reason for that because he's a broadcaster or did you want to connect the last, you know, the last championship season to this one? That's exactly what it was. It's I wanted to have him bridge 1988 to 2020. And he was the last World Series MVP. Uh, so I thought that he'd be the natural guy to do it. And uh, when I brought it up to him, he was very excited to do it and very happy about it. So uh, we did that. And uh, I know the publishing company really liked it. When they went through the, the forward, they were like, this is one of the more in-depth baseball forwards we've had. So uh, they were really happy with it. You know, Oral's been been great about helping me promote the book as well. So um, he's just a good guy and great guy to work with. And he's got so many stories and so many experiences that he's been a big part of. He can teach you how to throw a slider too. 
Yeah, not a bad slider. Not a bad slider. Although those uh, uh, sinker, I think he told me he struck out uh, the last Oakland A. Who was it? Tony Phillips. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Anyway, but he, I think he he the last pitch he threw was a sinker, and uh, we went over that like second by second what that was like throwing the last pitch of the World Series, and he tells he tells the whole story and uh, going through filming the Disney commercial and everything. It was pretty wild stuff you know he's just a solid human the guy that we're all kind of fond of on this side of, uh, on the east coast from his days with the red sox is your manager for the dodgers dave roberts give us some thoughts about him yeah dave's also a real solid guy dave is the guy that uh when i approached him about the book he said look let's take some photos and he said use them any way you want for as long as you want and he goes anything i can do to help you let me know uh I remember uh, when I was with the Red Sox and we would do the Jimmy Fun Telethon once a year, he would always come on it. He has, he's a cancer survivor. Plus, uh, you know, he and Joe Castiglione are president of each of their mutual admiration societies. Uh, they, they, really, they really like each other a lot. So Castig would always call Dave and Dave would come on and he'd, he'd do the interview and it was great. But Dave probably never needs to buy dinner in New England again after stealing that base and keeping the Red Sox alive. And then they come back and beat the Yankees and go on and win the World Series in 2004. So, but as far as, you know, being around him on a daily basis, I couldn't ask for a better manager to be around, to be honest. I mean, I had a really good relationship with Alex Cora. I had a good relationship with John Farrell. Um, you know, you know, but... Doc is, uh, he's one of those guys that you can talk to him about anything for, you know, personal stuff or, uh, you know, he'll tell me about his kids, what's going on with his kids. We'll, we'll talk about that. Talk about the broadcasting side. Cause he's got experience at that too. In fact, he did some Red Sox games on Nesson, uh, when he finished playing. Um, and uh, you know, he's very approachable, very easygoing. He understands his position. And, and really, really does a great job with it. I, I hope I get to work with them for a lot of years. I hope so, too. You know, that's one thing about the Dodgers. They seem to hang on to the, the talented managers they've had over the years. Lasorda, Alston, you know, you can go through the list. And I think Roberts will be part of that package for years to come. I really do. Yeah, and in this day and age where there's more pressure to win. Yeah. I mean, if, if you lose a game, and let's say, you, let's say you lose two out of three in a series, you've got people screaming and hollering on social media to fire the game. If, if you lose a game where the guy comes out of the bullpen and gives up the game-winning hit, well, that's not the manager's fault. He's got to make the moves. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. That's baseball. But I think, they've well, got all the information. They, they use the information, and, and uh, he, he uses the information pretty well. I think you, you've probably seen it firsthand that the, the managers that succeed in Major League Baseball nowadays – and it, it, they don't have to be a certain age, but I think they have to be able to relate to players that are out there now. I mean, you know, it just it, it, it's a different mindset. The kids coming up, and and obviously Dave Roberts has uh, the years of the Dodgers, and uh, same thing I think for Alex Cora, getting what he needs for responses. Yeah, and I've seen Dave in action. You know, one of the first things uh, he did my first spring training was I saw him one day in his office and we were talking about stuff, just getting caught up. And he said, Hey, what are you doing uh, Sunday morning at such and such a time? And I said, 
uh, I guess whatever you're about to ask me is what I'm going to do. And he said, yeah, he goes, uh, I want you to come into the meeting, to the team meeting. He goes, they're all closed. He goes, but just walk in. And he goes, walk in and stand against the wall. And he said, I want to introduce you to everybody at one time. And I said, okay, great. So I came into the meeting and he's just, you know, the things that he does to create good team bonding and, you know, the funny stuff he does. And then he, he introduces me and he, he has this long introduction that he somehow made up and, uh, and he called me up and put me on the spot, made me do something in front of the team. That was, you know, and uh, it was fun. We had, we had a fun time, but it, he keeps it loose. The players appreciate it. He does relate to them exceptionally well. And, and I think that's a big part of managing is being able to, to keep it loose when it needs to be loose, especially in this pressure cooker day and age. Mm, amen to that. Roger. Yeah. One question about, I mean, we mentioned a lot of names, but we haven't talked about the, uh, the star of the Dodger organization yet. And that would be Vin Scully. Uh, any uh, impact on your career, Tim? And, and have you, did you get a chance to rub shoulders with him at all? Or was he done by the time you moved to LA? Uh, he was done by the time I moved to LA, but I knew him beforehand. Um, and uh, when I was with the Pirates, my first year with the Pirates, as I walked in, his door was open and he happened to be facing away from the field, looking out in the hallway. And I, I was looking forward to maybe getting a chance to meet him. And, but I walked by and as I passed the doorway, I hear, Hey, Tim, <laughs> he, you know, he knew my Should've name. Should have that recorded. Well, he knew my name. Right. And, and I literally stopped in my tracks and I don't get starstruck really, but I, I was like, Whoa, yeah. So I like kind of walked backwards and stuck my head in the door. He goes, come on in here and whatever. And so I sat down with him for a while. We talked and uh, we, we did that a few other times too um, before he retired. And his last year in 2016, the Red Sox actually went in there. And so I went and saw him again and had pictures taken with him. And um, uh, during the season, late in the season this year, I was actually driving somewhere and, uh, he called. I was on the phone with, uh, with my wife, actually. I said, I don't know who that is. I'll get back to them. And so when I hung up with her, I played the voicemail and it was Vin. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, my gosh. I'd like to have one of those for sure. Yeah. So I got the voicemail from him. And, uh, you know, it just he's just such a wonderful guy. He really is. Um, you can't say enough about him because he's. He's the face, the voice, the name of the franchise. Uh, he comes from the time in Brooklyn. And, you know, one of the first games that he ever did, I don't know if people know this story, but it was at Fenway Park when he did Boston University and Maryland, I think it was. I think it was a bowl game or something like that. And he did it from the rooftop on the third base side. Uh, he did the network radio which was based out of New York and red Barber was the sports director of that right. station. And he assigned Vin the job Vin, fresh out of Fordham said, oh, he'd gladly do it. Went there and did it. But what the story is, is that it was freezing cold that day and Vin had accidentally left his coat back at the hotel. And so he did the entire game freezing, never once mentioned it. Red Barber got, wind of it he thought Vin did a good job and then he found out later Vin did it without a coat and he said that's all I need to know 
and he hired him to do the Brooklyn Dodgers next. And the rest is history. Well, speaking of books, there's a book that's out of print. But when I years ago, when I was thinking about getting into broadcasting, one of the books I got, Red Barber, uh, it was uh, how to do sports broadcasting and and his background. And, and he mentions how he mentored Ben Scully. And uh, that was his pride and joy to see Vin develop the way he did. One trick that you probably would appreciate this that uh, Red Barber had was because he did radio and he painted the pictures. And that's how Vin Scully attributes that. It's painting that picture. You know, when you're in Chavez Ravine and you got the blue sky and the, and the green grass and make people feel like they're part of it. Radio is a harder, well, you, you know, it's a harder medium than the television. You know, it's where the, everybody's just seeing everything thrown at them. Uh, but the deal was that Red Barber had a trick. He had an egg timer sitting on the counter next to him. Yeah. And when that ran out every three minutes, he gave the score. That was one trick he taught Ben Scully. Just make sure you keep people in the game. Don't let them yeah. wander off. And then, you know, when they lose interest, you've lost them. So that was one of the tricks I remember from way back. I yeah, that's exactly right, Sherman, because I, I have a, a friend in the minor leagues who does the exact same thing even to this day. He has yeah. a little sand timer, and he, when it runs out, he gives the score, and he flips it over and does it again. But you have to give the score on radio quite often because, you know, on television, uh, you're more of a traffic cop, and you're more of a, you know, they can see it. So you, you don't have to say all the same things right. or do all the same things. Uh, but on radio, you definitely have to be your own score bug. You have to be a person who says – you know, it's three to two, top of the third one out. And you got to keep people informed of that. You have to do it. And uh, I love doing the radio still so much because it's just, you know, it's more old school than the TV. The TV, you know, changes a little bit from year to year, too, with new innovations and new things they want to, want us to do. I do like doing the games on television, but, you know, radio is still that old school it is. You know, style of broadcasting, which I really enjoy. Paint the picture. Well, you're you're a professor at Emerson, uh, sports communication. Is that true? I am. Yes. Oh. Yes, I am. We just finished the finished the semester. I'll split it up doing it remotely and in person. When the season ends, I come back and do it in person, and before that, I do it remotely. Uh, and then we're getting ready to start the second semester, uh, unfortunately, remotely because of COVID. We were talking, uh, Roger and I. I mentioned something in the book I had seen. And I'm yeah, yeah. Sherm said you'd like more teams. Tim, is that the case? Uh, I, I think it's going to happen. I think we're going to start hearing more and more about expansion just as soon as they settle the stadium issue with Oakland and Tampa Bay. Those are the two most pressing issues uh, I think that Major League Baseball has uh, outside of the current labor situation. And I know that they want to get those things settled. I, I do think that baseball is going to look different in a few years. Uh, there won't be pitchers hitting anymore. Uh, for starters, I, I believe, although I do prefer the National League style, I think we're going to go to the American League style because of the players union. Um, I think that once they settle, whether Oakland stays in Oakland or they move to Las Vegas, because it's going to be one or the other, once that's settled. And then once uh, I think once they decide that this uh, splitting Montreal and Tampa Bay idea is ridiculous and they got to pick one or the other. Uh, probably hopefully Montreal, maybe Nashville, um, that maybe that's going to be the way to go. But once that's settled, I think we'll have at least two new markets, and I think we'll have some realignment in baseball as well. 
Roger, you want to ask about uh, the, this year's team coming up? No, I know they're going to win it as long as Tim stays there. I'm about to <laughs> press my button on DraftKings once he tells me he's back for another year for sure. Right. <laughs> no yeah, question just, about it. Just keep telling my bosses that, Roger. That helps. I guess we should uh, let people know how they can get the book, Tim. What's the What's the best way? Yeah, it's wherever books are sold. Uh, I know, you know, the New Hampshire Barnes and Nobles, I guess they're they're in there. I know they're around the country. Uh, Amazon's a great way to get it. That's the way I tell everybody the easiest way to get it. Uh, we do offer signed personalized copies too um, because of the lack of book signings due to COVID. We basically do them virtually, I, I guess you could say, but uh, if they look me up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook and just send me a direct message, uh, I'll get back to them and tell them how they can get a signed personalized copy or multiple copies. Um, if people buy, you know, for groups like 10 or more, we'll do a, we'll do a private Zoom session, too, and talk about the book and uh, things like that. But the easiest thing is to go through social media, through Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. And then I'll personally sign them. And I'll, I actually personally run them to the post office, too. There you I go. Did, I ran one yes, just yesterday. I ran one. So well, if anybody's got Audible, I tell them, pick it up on Audible. Uh, it's, it's a good listen. As I like to say, uh, you Thanks. got Tim Neverett doing uh, doing COVID curveball. One thing I, I was thinking about uh, in that book, uh, you mentioned that you had a, a conversation with uh, Harry Callis uh, just uh, what a short time before he passed away. Uh, and of course, yeah. legendary Phillies announcer. Um, you know, I, I was thinking... This, this is for a sequel, Tim, okay? Now, you got contact with a lot of broadcasters, uh, a lot of guys that are veterans, for sure, like a Bob Euchre, uh, Pat Hughes, people like that. Get into their heads. Write it down. Yeah. I, I really, there was a book years ago called Voices of Sports, and, and this goes back to the 70s, and they had guys at the time, Pat Summerall, uh, Gowdy, and people like that. There's been nothing in between, so... This is this is a chance. This is your sequel, man. I'll buy I'll buy the first copy. Well, I tell you what, um, Pat Hughes, such a neat guy. You bring him up, the Cubs announcer. He is about as old school as they get. Mm -hmm. um, and I love talking to Pat Hughes. We we share baseball information. Remember, we're together in Chicago the last couple of years. Neither of us have traveled, so uh, this year I think when we go back to traveling. It's going to be wonderful to to reconnect. But uh, I've had great conversations with him in the past and. Uh, you know, when he was working with the late, great Ron Santo, there was just nothing but a piece of plexiglass that separated me and Ron. And something would happen in a game. He'd knock on the window and make a face. And yeah. I'd do the yeah. same. It was just a, you know, great guy. And, and Pat knew Pat would sometimes look over and make a face, but uh, getting the chance to talk to those guys is great. Uh, Bob Uger, uh for whatever reason, Bob took a liking to me. I, I don't know. We, uh, we've had some funny conversations and uh, just, I love seeing him, you know, I said, Bob, you're looking good. You know, he'd be like, yeah, not bad for a guy that's put together with his lawnmower parts and he makes the face, you know? So and I said to him when uh, the anniversary of major league was out, I did an interview with him for our radio pregame once. Uh, and I said, Hey, you know, tell us about major league. And, you know, he told me how they, they worked around his schedule. Mm -hmm. right they, they did i mean for one supporting character they worked a lot around his schedule but he said that a lot of it was ad-lib and he goes you know 
he goes, have you heard of Major League Three? I go, yeah. He goes, that one never even made the theaters. He goes, it went direct to airplanes. And he goes, not even the real ones. He goes, I think it's on a Piper Cub somewhere. And he makes the face, you know. But he's uh, he is just one of a kind. I, I, you know, you could sit and talk with him for hours. He's just uh, that's why I love going to Milwaukee. I really do. It's one of my favorite things to do in baseball is to go to Milwaukee and sit with him and listen to his stories. Now, these guys, you got to pick their brains. You brought up Ron Santo. When I had the Major League Baseball package years ago, a radio package, I used to love to listen to those guys uh, out there. And some of the stories Santo would come up with, oh, my, it just break me up. The other thing you brought up is color uh, commentators, uh, whether it's Hershiser, Garcia Pera. Um, we lost one here, Jerry Remy, um, the Rem Dog. Any, any thoughts about the Rem Dog? He's the greatest. I mean, he was, what can you say? I mean, he, he was unbelievable. Uh, I had known Jerry when I, I was with the Pirates. We used to occasionally uh, combine resources for spring training games. So it would be like me, Don Orsillo, Bob Walk, and Jerry Remy, the four of us, our TV crew and the Nesson crew would combine. And then we would, you know, have three announcers in the booth at one time. Like I'd do a few innings. Don do a few innings, and we did this probably three or four times, or five or six times, I guess. Um, and so I got to work with Jerry. And you know, growing up, I knew who Jerry was. I loved watching him play, and then of course, watched him a lot as a broadcaster. Got to meet him before, and now I'm working with the guy, and we're having some laughs and having some fun, and it's just great, right? So when I got the job with the Red Sox, he was one of the first guys to call me, and when I left, he was also the first guy to call me and tell me how disappointed he was that I was leaving, how much he wanted me to stay, uh, you know, I mean, that kind of thing. And he was just such a great guy. He's got a friend. Jerry, Jerry's done all kinds of things, but Jerry has a friend who is very, very, very wealthy, who has a uh, home in Colorado, but kept a plane, a private plane in Portsmouth on the seacoast, right? So there'd be a road trip each year where this guy would take Jerry and then Jerry would take whoever he wanted. So we, a few years in a row, he asked me and Joe Castiglione and Dave O'Brien to go with him. So here we are on this private Gulfstream four <laughs> with Jerry away from the team. Now we think the team charter is pretty good, right? Yeah. Now we know how rock stars live. <laughs> and, when we went, and we had such fun. We had so many great laughs and Jerry really would let his hair down when it was just the four of us around uh plus his good friend and uh we really had fun just some of the great stories all right roger before we wrap up here did you have anything else i guess tim knows now that it's much harder to, to write than it is to broadcast <laughs> <laughs> hey let me write the next one yeah well go for it <laughs> And, well, after Tim finishes doing the next one, the one I, I recommend is the, the, the announcers, the broadcasters. And then and then how about the color guys afterwards? You, you've got some talent there between Hershiser, Mundy, you guys, whoever you bump into along the way. Those guys, get those stories and document them because once they're gone, they're gone, unfortunately. I was going to say, the guy you need to have is, is Dennis Eckersley. He speaks his own language. Yeah, true. And, and he's really funny. He's just great. And I was really lucky with when I was with the Red Sox to spend time with, with Dennis. Uh, you talk about stories. <laughs> He's got a, a million of them. And, uh, you know, he faces the Kirk Gibson story almost every day. And 
he tells it in great detail. It's amazing to hear it out of his mouth in private. It's really, really cool. Well, we we uh, all look forward to that equipment truck heading from Lansdowne to Florida. When when do they shift the equipment to spring training for the Dodgers? When does that happen? Uh, later than the Red Sox do because it's only a five-hour drive. Oh, okay. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a short drive. Uh, it's, it's good. I mean, I'll tell you what, though. I, as much as I love Florida for spring training, and believe me, we love Florida for spring training. Fort Myers is great. When I was with the Pirates, Bradenton area, awesome. For the baseball standpoint, Arizona's way better. Okay. Our shortest drives, I mean, we share a facility with the White Sox, so we don't have to go anywhere for those games. Our longest drive is 45 minutes to play the Cubs. Wow. Wow. In, in Florida, our, our shortest drive was 45, 50 minutes. Wow. And the longest one was up to three hours if we went across the state to West Palm. So I love Arizona for base, the baseball side of things, but I love Florida for the everything else part of spring training. There you go. Well, we're looking forward to the baseball season kicking off here. And in the meantime, there's that spot between New Year's Day and the time when you guys actually start calling games at, at spring training. Good reason for people to pick up COVID Curve Ball by Tim Neverett. Well, you, you did a great job, and it's a very entertaining book. A look at that that World Championship season that was a COVID curveball for sure for all of us, but in particular Major League Baseball. But but the Dodgers came out on top, and that and on the book too. It's just, it's not all about the Dodgers too. It's it's mostly about the Dodgers, but there are Red Sox stories in there. Oh, yeah. Other baseball stories in there. So I think any baseball fan would enjoy it. It is a baseball fan's book and a good read. So uh, COVID curveball. Tim Neverett, thank you. Thank you. And Roger Brown, thanks uh, for bringing us together today on the Seco Sports Forum. Thanks very much. Be sure to subscribe to Exeter TV on YouTube and hit the bell to get notified about new episodes of the Seco Sports Forum and other local content. Follow the Sports Forum team behind the scenes on our Facebook and Twitter pages and send us your game footage and photos to our email. That's secosportsforum.extv at gmail.com. This is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seco Sports Forum. Sports Forum.